following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the 23rd chapter of Deuteronomy. That is on the left-hand side of your Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. And uh, we're going to look at chapter 23, 24, and 25. And um, when we first started preaching through Deuteronomy, um, Neil Andrews, who some of you know, uh, came up to me actually right there on that, on that front row pew. And uh, he said, Jordan, are you planning on preaching the entire book of Deuteronomy? Said, yeah. He said, the entire thing? So yeah, absolutely. He said, I can understand the first couple of chapters. Have you read the entire book of Deuteronomy? <laughs> I said, yeah. He says, have you gotten into the 20s yet? Have you seen what is in Deuteronomy chapter 20, 21, 22, 23? And I said, yeah. He says, you're going to preach that. I said, yeah. He said, I'll make sure you're, I'm at church when you get into the 20s. And he is not here this morning. <laughs> oh, he is. He is back there. <laughs> this is for you, brother. This is all for you. I would like for you to come up and read the first verse of chapter 20. <laughs> Three. <laughs> there you go. Some of you caught it. You're like, what are we doing here this morning? So Kevin's prayer is, is uh, appreciated, to say the least. If you look at the first verse of chapter 23, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But this is God's word. And when we look at God's word, his expectations for his people are high, but they are not unreasonable. In Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25, we are going to see God's heart and His desire for people to live obediently. When we first started this, uh, we were talking about our word for the year is obedience. And we are striving to be obedient. And when we look into the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament law, we think oftentimes that this has been fulfilled in Christ and we don't have to follow it. But in reality, we would see that a lot, if not all, of the Old Testament text comes into play in the New Testament as God puts parameters in our life so that we would know how to love Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. If you can get past verse 1 and look at verse 5, it says in Deuteronomy 23, these things are present because the Lord your God loved you. And so we trust His Word, we trust His plan, and we're going to strive to live according to His ways. And by grace, when we fail, we realize that God will restore us and He will pick us back up. And in His mercy, He will love us. As we enter into a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, we have the opportunity to realize that we come humbly before the Lord, ready to receive His teachings regarding His expectations. As Paul says in the New Testament, should I continue to sin so that grace will abound? And the answer to that question is by no means. 
Jesus looks at people constantly and he says, go and sin no more. Meaning there are expectations for life and godliness and how we are to conduct ourselves. And here in Deuteronomy, we're going to see four godly expectations. Now, this is a lot of scripture and I'm not going to read all of it to you. But as you see some of the scripture pop up on the screen, you can essentially scan it a little bit. And then if you want to, go home and examine it more and study it throughout the week. And of course, if you have any questions, Neil will be in the back and he will answer them. First expectation comes in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1 through 14. Now, I know it's hard to get past that first sentence, but look at the very end of verse 1. It says the words, assembly of the Lord, and that is the foundation for people who could enter into fellowship with one another. We talked about it when we first started our service, that our relationship with God is not just vertical, but it's also horizontal. There's a piece where people come into play, and here we see it's the assembly of the Lord. When the people gathered for religious ceremonies as well as festivals, and there were people, God said, who could not come into worship. This is one of the questions I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven is, God, why did you do this? And he would look at me, and he would say, if you studied my word, Jordan, you'll realize that it's for purity purposes. Now, as you see some of these people in the text, in these first 14 verses, we see that these people weren't prevented from believing in God or even from receiving eternal life. They were excluded to maintain purity in the camp. The first people that were excluded were actually three different types of people, and that's in the first three verses. You had, first of all, people who had been castrated. And these were people who had done this for pagan purposes. They had done this for reasons that were outside of God. And these were excluded from the assembly because they ultimately did something that was in regards to pagan worship. Now, some of that pagan worship bled over into illegitimate children being born. And so you see things like prostitution and incest were also a problem, and they were excluded from the assembly. And then the third piece was certain nations who were harsh to Israel in the wilderness. So the three types of people that are not entered or allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord are those who had pagan worship, those who were illegitimate children, and those who were mean to Israel in the wilderness. Now, I ask, God, why would you prevent somebody from entering into the assembly? And as I read these passages of Scripture, you should be, just as I am, thankful that we live on this side of the cross. Because when we get here and we gather, we realize that all of us, on some level, can relate into our sin. Now, well, this is God's Word, and exclusions from the assembly can and still do exist today in regards to worship. This doesn't mean that these marginalized people were not cared for or loved. As a matter of fact, Israel was called to go to these people, similar to Matthew 28, and to tell these people how much God does care and have compassion on His people. 
And in the New Testament, we freely share the gospel with these types of people saying, hey, we don't live on this side of the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament and now we can gather together underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ where we are free, free indeed. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of works, lest any man or woman should boast, but it is the free gift of God that we repent of our sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and are saved, and we're no longer cut off. So if anything, in those first three chapters, this should cause you to praise God, that you can enter into the family of God through repenting of sin and trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. If you haven't done that today, there's a little white book in front of you. Open that up to the gospel and walk through that. Number two, purity came in caring for foreigners. We talked about this a little bit, but look at verse 7 of chapter 23. An Israelite maintained purity by caring for, not abhorring foreigners. Now, these were Edomites or Egyptians, and you know the story in the biblical text about how the Egyptians enslaved Israel, and they had all types of hardships in regards to that. But furthermore, we see that Caring for foreigners was required because they were foreigners at one time. And we keep ourselves pure by caring for foreigners, those outside of the family of God, because we know that they need the gospel just as much as we do. Now, this applies to us multiple ways in our society today, in your workplaces, in your marriages, we're going to talk about in a little bit, in regards to your friendships and the people that you come in contact with. Do you see them as needing the gospel just as you did? Oftentimes we look at people and we say, they're a lost cause. Sometimes we look at people and say, they're too far gone. That's not true. There are people who are off the path, but can come back on the path. And then it says that there should be purity, verse 9 through 14, in regards to maintaining cleanliness in the camp. Now, parents, pay attention. This is for you because you can use this with your children. So good. This deals with purity of war camps and how God wanted them to maintain cleanliness from disposing of human waste properly and avoiding practices that could lead to uncleanliness. Now, some of you know what an outhouse is, and if you don't, we're not going to expand on that this morning. But we realized that that was essentially what was going on here. It was saying, keep your outhouse clean and keep your camp clean because God is concerned about that. Well, how could God be concerned about that? Well, the Israelite soldiers, when they separated waste from water, were reminded that God's holiness and omnipresence was true even in their most private moments. You know what that means for us, church? God is concerned about what transpires in your private moments just as much as he is concerned in your public moments. So think about it. Am I honoring the Lord in private as much as I honor him in public? Now, this command was given to preserve and exercise modesty, showing that we're not animals. And this is where we get cleanliness is next to godliness. So parents, use it, right? You go and you look at your kids and say, this room is a pigsty. Clean it up for the Lord's sake, because he loves when your room is clean. (laughs) 
In striving for purity and all of these daily things, Israel showed reverence to the Lord. So all of this is reverence to God, reverence to God, reverence to God, reverence to God. Here's some real-life applications on this side of the cross. Number one, God still, we just talked about this this morning in the 9 o'clock hour, God still has standards and expectations to worship. There are things that transpire within our corporate worship that God is very concerned about. As a matter of fact, God is concerned when our emotions take over. God is concerned when we do not think. God is concerned when His church just does whatever they want to do and not what He has commanded in Scripture, which was Solomon's downfall in 1 Kings. Setting standards and expectations in regards to corporate worship, we're not talking about dress here, by the way, is still relevant. This is a big reason why we do church membership at Community Gospel We love covenant relationship when people come together in a covenant, in a promise together. I love you. You love me. Let's hold each other accountable together. Oh, but I don't think that's biblical. Moses was giving people certificates of marriage and divorce where they signed the paper. And when we look at church membership, you sign a paper and somebody looks at it and says, I'll never sign a paper. That's not biblical. It's not biblical to hold each other accountable? We think that's a good idea. Number two, we also care very much for the lost in our society. The gospel calls us to care for marginalized people. And when we evangelize, share our faith, it is an opportunity to give God praise for rescuing the impure as we were once impure ourselves. So, godly expectation, be pure. Number two, Deuteronomy 23, verse 15. Because you are pure, act a certain way, right? As a child of God, act as if you are a child of God. So, 15 through 25 of chapter 3 are all God's laws for behaving properly in society. Now, I see five here. I'm sure there's another one. But I see five. First one, there's a behavior for runaway slaves. Uh, it's not, an, uh, it's not a, uh, a mystery or whatever you want to call it that my favorite book is the book of Philemon. And in Philemon, chapter 23 of Deuteronomy, verse 15 and 16, partners so well. Go study Philemon this week. Essentially what happens here is if a non-Israelite slave runs away from his master and seeks refuge with the Israelites, they would return him, but let they wouldn't return him, excuse me, but let them live among them without oppression. Now, you're probably thinking to yourselves, why are these here and why is this important? Well, that's a good question. Because here we see God's compassion for social outcasts. If you're a social outcast, thank God that he loves you, right? It's good. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I love that God loves the outcasts. And Jesus says very similar things in Matthew 25. Paul says it in Galatians 3. And Philemon shows us that we're all runaway slaves looking for God to be compassionate on us. So be compassionate to the outcasts. Number two, behave in a way that is sexually pure. No Israelite, male or female, was to engage in any pagan prostitution or take money or goods for any sexual acts. I know this makes you cringe in your seat. 
But really, it's important because this is so big in our society today. And for some odd reason, preachers stray from it when we need to run to it. It's kind of like the money situation. The Bible talks more about money than anything else. And we look at it and we go, oh, let's just sidestep this for a second. What's going on here is the Bible is telling us to flee sexual sin. Flee it. Run from it. Don't put your toe in that water. Because any sexual immorality is a sin against your body, which is called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. You reject God himself when you reject sexual purity. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. It has a big impact on you. You have to be careful on what you look at. This is like when you get around a circle, uh, guys, I'm going to talk to you for a second, and you look at somebody, and you look at your buddy and say, oh, she's kind of cute. She's not your wife. And as one of our elders says, it's not the first look that gets you, it's the second look. And shame on the person who makes you look twice. Speaking of money, isn't that interesting? It's right there, verse 19. An Israelite wasn't allowed to charge interest on a loan to a fellow Israelite. I like this. Okay, so church, we're going to bring this in. If you have have a need today and you need some money out in the foyer, there's going to be people out there that you can go borrow from without interest. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Maybe. I don't know. But interest could be charged on loan to foreigners. Now, why is that there? Well, God is interested and concerned with fairness and economic dealings. Now, here's what really comes out of this. If we were to look at the New Testament, really study the New Testament. If you have somebody in the family of God, a brother or sister in Christ who looks at you and needs money, you should lend them money without interest. What if I never get it back? Well, then you never get it back. But here it talks about behavior for believers to lend money to other believers. Well, what if a pagan wants it? Well, then you get to charge them interest. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up, but let me know how that works. (laughs) Number four, in regards to behavior. Now, these are going to really hit home. Behavior, verse 21 of chapter 23 in regards to fulfilling vows. If an Israelite made a vow to God, he was to fulfill it as quickly as possible because failure to fulfill your vows is a sin. How many vows do we make today in our society? We've made vows as married people. We've made vows in regards to promises. I will do this thing. Is there something that is going on in your life right now? You told somebody you were going to do something and you haven't done it. Write it down on the slip and call them this afternoon and say, I want to fulfill my vow. Because if you made a vow to somebody else, you made a vow to God and to break that vow is a sin. So you should keep your commandments to God. And then the last one, verse 24 Uh, This is interesting. It says, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes. So all of our farmers in our congregation, if I am in your field eating, leave me alone. (laughs) But you shall not put any in your bag. I won't bring my book bag. If you go to your neighbor's standing grain and you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. Now, this is really interesting because this ties into what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Do you remember that? 
The Pharisees were all mad at them because they're standing on the, the edge of the field and they're eating their fill. And all of a sudden the Pharisees look at them and they say, hey, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do that. And Jesus should have looked at them and said, hey, Deuteronomy 23, 24 through 25 says that we're allowed to do that. This is God's essentially welfare plan. When harvesting grain, an Israelite could eat as much as he wanted. And he couldn't take any grain with him. This shows God's generosity and consideration for others. This is God saying that I want you to behave a certain way. Now, let's draw two more applications from this. Number one, you should practice external generosity. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. And sometimes when God reveals those needs, man, I just look at God and I'm like, for real? That one? That person? He's like, yep. And when I practice that external generosity with my hands and feet, God is developing within me internal character. And this is what God loves, is when the heart is right. As believers, we strive to reflect God's character as it develops our own internal character God's doing internal work as you do external actions. Remember that. So sometimes you go willingly, sometimes unwillingly, and God does a great work in our hearts. To 24. <clears throat> Verse 1 through 5 is hard, and I approach this subject as, del as delicately as I can. So hear me out to the end. But he talks about marriage. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in her eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. Now, Moses here uh, is, is talking about how life will be lived in regards to life in the promised land. And he says, when, when you are there, if you have a marital conflict, verse 2, if she goes and becomes another man's wife, then the latter man hates her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of his house. Or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who this is a lot, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled. For it's an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin upon the land that your, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, divorce was allowed in Israel, but it was carefully regulated. Under God's law, marriage contracts couldn't be simply dissolved as soon as one partner wanted out. There had to be a certificate of divorce. A man could not just tell his wife, we're divorced, we're done. Divorce had to be legally recognized just as marriage had to be legally recognized. So legal dockets were issued and properly served. If you see, it says, puts it in her hand. That's important. We still do that today, by the way, with legal documents. You know that? We still hand people legal documents. It has to be in somebody's hand. Now, if a divorced woman married again, she couldn't return to her first husband. Her second marriage ended in either divorce or death, which, if she got divorced again, it might as well have been her death. So all of this is here because here's the thing. God is very concerned about marriage and divorce. Very concerned. 
He is serious about it. Now, if we jump from the Old Testament into the New Testament, at Jesus' time, New Testament rabbis defined uncleanliness here in this text as anything the wife did that displeased the husband. (laughs) So that means you could divorce your wife for burning the breakfast. Isn't that crazy? Some of you are like, no, that's awesome. No, that's crazy. (laughs) No, he could divorce her for, for anything that he wanted, but Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he says, no, let's define the word uncleanliness in Matthew 19, 9. And he says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoa. In other words, Jesus rightly understood uncleanliness to refer to sexual immorality or intercourse outside of the spouse. Now, all of that we already outlined. That's Deuteronomy 23, verse 17 and 18. So marriage is extremely important to God. Now watch this. Why is it so important to God? Because it's a symbol that God uses in the New Testament all the time to explain his relationship to us. It is a symbol between Christ and his church. God calls us his bride. And when he calls us his bride, he is saying that that is the framework Marriage is the building blocks of society. The home is the greatest mission field that we have. Now, in Jesus' day, rabbis taught it was the duty of a godly man to divorce his wife if she displeased him. But both Moses and Jesus made it clear that while God does permit divorce in certain situations, like adultery and abandonment, he never commands divorce, not once. It's not in the text. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 is clear. God hates divorce. Husbands, wives, if you are here today and you are considering and contemplating a divorce, don't do it. God says no. If you're like, well, they've been sexually immoral and they're abandoning me because of my faith, that's a different story. We can talk about that. Come talk to John or myself. We would love to talk about that more. But in regards to the fact that your wife is burning the breakfast or your husband doesn't take the dishes out, that's stupid. That's foolish, actually, is what the Bible would say. As married people, we're called and commanded to seek the other person's best. Pastor Jordan, you don't understand. He always does this. She always does that. You don't use absolutes in marriage. You seek the other person's best always, even if they don't seek yours. Because that's what God does. Now, we look at this, and we might be here today, and we're saying, but I'm divorced. What do I do? I already did that. Well, then you should see the woman at the well. Because when Jesus has the conversation with the woman at the well, first of all, he loves her. Second of all, he takes compassion upon her. Third of all, he looks at her and he says, I know everything that you've ever done, and he uses her still. And God can work, and he still does work. He doesn't want to through divorce, but he does. So if we're married, then we strive to stay together. If we have been divorced, then we ask God to do a great work within us. And may we be like the woman at the well where we leave and say, Come and meet the man who told me everything I've ever done and find restoration underneath the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So that's marriage. And Moses says it very fast. And then he concludes in chapter 24, verse 6. And he says, above all things be generous. All of these laws reflect God's concern for everyday generosity. In 24, verse 6 through 22, we see generosity in personal and social dealings. Now I'm going to run these really fast. But there's some miscellaneous laws here regarding life, property, kidnapping, personal hygiene. Leprosy was a big deal back then. Responsibility on how to treat foreigners. Most of these things we've already discussed. Many of these laws further emphasize the importance of purity, justice, generosity in the community. And again, God's concern for the welfare of all people. Then you get into 25 verse 1. And Moses says, I want you to be generous in being fair. I want you to be fair. All of 25 is a series of miscellaneous laws regarding what being fair looks like. Being fair to the punishment of criminals, verse 1 through 3. Being fair or kind to animals. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but it's not biblical to kick your dog. Verse 5 through 10, in marrying and providing for your brother's widow. Verse 11 through 12, domestic disturbances. Verses 13 through 16, business transactions. Verses 17 through 19, vengeance. And specifically, what do we do about those Amalekites, right? Especially when we want harm to happen to them. And while it may not look like it, God is fair. And all of 25, he says, I want you to be fair in your personal and social interactions. It's as almost as if Moses says, I want you to be like Jesus. Two final applications. And we covered three chapters. Number one. Brothers and sisters, be fair in all of your dealings and let God work out the rest of the details. You be like Jesus, let God be the judge. So oftentimes we'll talk to people and they'll look at us and they'll say, but I want justice. Sometimes justice doesn't come on this side. Of eternity. As a believer, we are called to follow God's example of fairness, treating other people with dignity and respect. We speak up for the oppressed and we let God judge those who persecute us. There's a reason the disciples wanted to draw swords when Jesus goes to the cross. But Jesus says, You put those away, that day will come. And in Revelation, we learn that our God does come with his own sword. On a horse. And there we let him do what he needs to do. Number two, and this applies to marriage. This applies to behavior. This applies to purity. Hear this. If we could do this well, we will mature in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Seek reconciliation over revenge. There are so many believers who are trying to get even when God says, I want you to be reconcilers. In many of these laws, we learn much about seeking reconciliation, forgiveness instead of holding grudges and seeking revenge. Let it go. We gather here on Sunday morning so that you can sing, so that you can give, so that you can pray, so that you can learn, and so that you can let it go. Most of the things that you're worried about right now will not matter in five years. 
By extending grace and mercy to others, the same grace and mercy that God's given us, we build strong relationships and we promote gospel healing. So, strive to maintain purity in thoughts and actions, but no, you cannot do this by yourself. This can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit who is within you and helps us in all of these areas. I cannot do these things on my own, but thank God that I live on this side of the cross and I have the opportunity and obligation to depend not on my own strength, but the Spirit who gives the ability to live a life that honors the Lord. And in that giving, we just talked about this this morning. I wish all of you were at the 9 o'clock hour. We talked about the difference between being vessels or channels. And God's grace and mercy are not given to us so that we would be vessels where we just hold it all to ourselves. We're to be channels where that mercy and grace from God flows to the people who are present in our everyday life. So we use our time, our talents, and our resources for the glory of God, channeling His mercy and grace to anyone who has a need in which we are able to meet. Because God's expectations that we outline today are for His people, and yes, they are high, but they are not, with the power of the Holy Spirit, unreasonable or unobtainable. And so we pray and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And the fact that your word is truth. We ask for your forgiveness sometimes when we look at your word and think that doesn't apply to us. And so we ask that before we go any further, if there are any here today who do not have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, the Bible makes it clear. In the book of Romans, it says if you confess, that means repent, turn away from your sins and trust the blood that was shed on the cross By a perfect man, perfect God, his name is Jesus, you will be saved. Just as you put your faith in these pews to hold you up, so we put our faith in Christ and in Christ alone. He is our hope, our solid rock. If you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, make today the day of your salvation. God, so many of us have a relationship with you. We have professed our faith and we're impure. I think about Solomon from this morning's teachings in the nine o'clock hour and how Solomon loved you, but still worshiped on the high places. So many of us here today love you, but there is a cart that is attached to us that is worldly. And so we ask that you would help us to remove that. We ask that you would forgive us for carrying around the worldly things with us. We ask that you would remove those from our life. As some of us have a hard time doing that. We pray, God, for our behavior. That it would be honoring and glorifying to you. That we would think before we participate in some things. That we would pray before we enter into an arena that we shouldn't enter into. We do pray for our marriages, Lord. Even now, there are some people thinking, it's over. There are some people here who are pondering the end. 
Help them to know that they made a promise and a commitment to that other person and to you. Some of us here are struggling with divorce. We made that decision and there's guilt and shame. And if they are a believer in you, Lord, I pray that you would give them restoration. I pray, God, that you would do a great work in their heart. And then, Lord, I pray that because of all these things, you would help us to be generous and realize that your mercy and grace is an opportunity for us to share our faith to the people who aren't present here today. And it's also an opportunity for us to build each other up. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I know somebody who needs encouraged right now. We're going to sing in just a few moments. We're going to give you the opportunity to pray with our prayer partners. By all means, if you want to encourage somebody, you get up from this pew and you go wrap your arms around that brother or sister because this is the place where we edify one another, where there's shelter in the storms of life. You give somebody the opportunity to realize grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sins. Lord, help us. We need your help. We cannot do this alone. The things that we should be praying that we don't know how to pray for, we ask that Jesus, our great high priest, our perfect prophet and king, intercede on our behalf as we continue to apply the truths of your word into our everyday endeavors. All God's people said, amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.